There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. But what about us? Memories. You're talking about memories. Good, now have a drink. I don't want anything of his or any part of him. Except his life. I wonder if I know what you mean. I wonder if you want Played it for her, played it for me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. Waiting for a lady. Someday you'll understand that. Got some news that's gonna take a lot of attention off you and Laura. Stop it, yes, I can't take any more of it! I should be in the You know the story? My story. Maybe because he was drunk. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Well, I'll give her the message. I'd never sleep all over America. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we will deliver a discussion and analysis of classic and neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Carly Street and Jason D. Morris. So... Carly, we are back again. I think this is like episode... I don't know. Can you believe I've got through that many episodes without saying bodacious? As you know, I was so excited that I bought us matching Bill and Ted t-shirts. <laughs> I'm excited to... to and I, Why are you laughing? Because I think it's awesome. It is awesome. And I bought Street one and I made him wear it. And we sat and watched Bill and Ted in our Bill and Ted t-shirts. <laughs> and I really didn't like it that much. I oh no, so really? I know! I know I'm a horrible human! (laughs) I'm such a horrible human, I'm going to hell! I am really surprised. I enjoyed it quite a bit until the end. Until we got to the end, it got really crazy and ridiculous. But up until that point, I enjoyed it. I thought... I really thought that Keanu Reeves, like, was completely flat. I think Alex Winter acted circles around him. Like, Alex Winter just was, like, right into character. And Keanu Reeves just was sort of, like... I don't know. I get the what feeling. What am I doing like, here? Yeah, exactly. Like, what am I doing here? Um, <laughs> which was strange, but because I thought he was like a big driving force to getting it made. Um, maybe it was just he's done so much stuff since, you know, because it's been 30 years almost, right? Maybe he's tired. He's a pandemic. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is working hard. Leave him alone. Obviously, we're missing Rufus, which sucks, but, you know, it's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about that. But I thought how they, uh, you know, fixed the story, brought his daughter in and all that kind of stuff. Like worked pretty well. But yeah, when it gets to the ending, it just gets really crazy for me. Yeah, I like that. But I'm surprised you didn't like it. Interesting. I'm so sad with myself. I think I built I think I got far too excited. I got too I just got in a Bill and Ted loop and I think no they could have put Keanu Reeves just in his birthday suit with a phone book and I still would not have been it would never have matched my expectations of what I thought it was going to be. And I think I just right. I ruined it for myself by getting far too excited. <laughs> well, Carly, we have a gentleman on the line here with us today. Um, he is a filmmaker, a podcaster, a radio host, um, uh, a father, a husband, all kinds of stuff. This guy is amazing. Uh, we've been I've been working with and him. also. Yeah. One of the nicest people on the planet he's, yeah, he really ever is. to he's... send a message to. He's lovely. <laughs> to send a message to. <laughs> yeah, he's so nice. I love I love speaking to him yeah. on Messenger. So sweet. Uh, I hate everybody else. <laughs> Folks, today we have blush. <laughs> we have Jason Hewlett on the line. And he is gonna discuss uh he's gonna spend some time with us today and discuss the movie that we watched. We all watched uh, uh this amazing movie, which we'll get to later, but before we do that, um, Jason, how's it going, man? How's, how's, how's your week been so far? I know it's uh, Monday, but <laughs> hopefully it's off to a good start. Good, good. I'm tired already. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you guys know how it is when you do the kind of things we do. You don't really get traditional work weeks. So I think last week was a six-day week Yeah, for me. And this is going to be another one. Um, but I mean, it's great. It's all fun stuff. But I'm looking forward. We have some, I have some time off booked coming up here in about a week and a half. And I'm looking very forward to that because the phone and everything will be turned off for four days. So nice. That'll be good. Otherwise, great. How are you all? Doing great, man. And I got to say, I when I see your posts online of how you kick back and relax after these long work weeks, I'm envious. Like I see you and, you know, just 
having a drink and nature or swimming or all this, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, this guy's got it figured out. And it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Why can't we be more like him? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, my day off, I'm still sitting behind a fucking computer. <laughs> doing my day off is you grumbling that you're sat at the computer. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, well, it works itself out. So, Work hard, play hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jay, tell us a little bit about uh, your radio show, your podcast, these things you've got going on. You've got a lot of stuff going on, man. It's like it's obviously if you're working six days a week and, you know, doing all this stuff, like you've got things that are in the works that people are, you know, loving. Um, tell us about it, man. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess kind of the, the bread and butter um, for about almost 11 years now, I've been doing a show called, well, it's changed names like five or six times, but it's like From the Basement, uh, which was a pod, movie podcast uh, first and then became a campus radio show. And now we're, we're prime time on a local radio station uh, here, which is cool, you know, Fridays at six. Um, just finished our first season of doing that. And I do it with my, my friend, Sean Knuppelberg, and we, we, we talk movies. You know, we get, we get to do it for like half an hour. <laughs> People listen to us. You know, it's cool. Awesome. So it started out just as your own like podcast and then it grew into a college radio show. You said in your original incarnation of it, uh, what was like the format? Was it still a half hour thing or was it longer? Or like, did you guys have particular types of movies that you uh, would discuss or was it just sort of a free for all? It was, we, we focused on genre films and we still kind of do, right? Like indie, indie genre films. Uh, so big, big emphasis used to be on horror when we started and it was any length, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We just pushed play on a record. Basically what happened is Sean and I'd get together with some other friends every week. We'd watch a movie and then we'd yap about it. And finally my wife's like, you know what? You guys should put that on the internet. So we're like, sure. So we did that <laughs> nice. um, with crappy little digital recorder, <laughs> put it up and <laughs> we had no format. We didn't know what we were doing. And it was when we kind of went on campus radio that we, it had to be an hour. And so we had to come up with a format that we stuck to that worked, right? And we started doing interviews with people in the industry and it kind of grew from there. And then once we had that format down, it took off. But when we went on Radio NL, it basically came down. We started off doing it just as like the Friday morning entertainment block on their morning news for 10 minutes. And then through the primetime show, they said, we can give you a half hour, 22 minutes, basically, with commercial slot on, on Friday nights at 6, from 6 to 6.30 before the, the local hockey games would kick in. And that's so we just stick to that basically, and and any interview we do that goes longer than what we can put on the air, we just put that on the podcast that comes out on the Monday, and so you would get the full interview there with whoever we were talking to. Nice, very so, cool, man. Yeah, and there's the website that goes with it. Um, we came from the basement.com, which is kind of a pain in the ass actually because <laughs> you got to update it, and I don't have time anymore. So I've got a couple contributors that help. Marcus Floor um is one contributor mike stewart is another one he kind of does a lot of the writing on it now which is great and i just kind of post the podcast episodes and any related review um so that's kind of one thing and that all ties into radio nl and i do some other programming for them so that's kind of where the bread and butter of my life comes from mm -hmm. and then as you know jay we work we do we want to believe for joe blow horror videos um and it's a paranormal reality show that we try to make unlike any other paranormal reality show by by not having the Hollywood stuff in there and just keeping it as, as you know, believable. Well, we go out to haunted locations or allegedly haunted locations. We investigate it and we film everything. And then whatever we find, we present for the audience without jazzing it up too much, except from filmmaking standpoint and editing and music, just to kind of make it, it's got to be entertaining, right? My mom loves it. She's the biggest fan. She's minding me. As soon as I say, oh, I spoke to Jason yesterday. This is going to get confusing because you're both Jasons. So one of you. <laughs> Jason one and two. I'm... Yeah, I, I think you're top, Jason, to be honest, because Jason Morris has already broke something. Um, and she's like, oh, has, has he got that thing on, that that thing that you use where I can watch that thing, which basically means have you put something on Vimeo that I can potentially put on a stick for her to watch? Oh. So she loves it. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's She loves it. She hasn't, that's awesome. hasn't even got data on her phone. Oh, she loves it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And it it seems to be growing. Like it's it, you, you try to find your footing making these things. As Jason, as you know, as a filmmaker too, right? It takes a bit to kind of figure out what you're doing, but I think we've figured it out. Because um, the most recent one's gone over really well, and everybody I talk to about it loves it, which is great. You know, now that that it's kind of hit that stride. So yeah, it, it's a, it's has been a very interesting process for me. I've never done anything like it before, and 
the approach of being different than all the other ghost hunting shows out there has been a real challenge um, from a post-production standpoint because you have this sort of want or creative like sort of need to spice things up as an editor, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things that you just can't do because the, the whole mission and the goal of this particular show is to kind of present it as is. And again, to present something that's entertaining to an audience, that can be a very challenging and, and tough sort of position to be in. Um, and I think that's where you guys as a team come into play because you're so knowledgeable and all of these different investigations that you're doing are so different that I think that is really um, been able to bring something different to the table on its own. It's not just a couple of uh, people running around in a dark building with infrared light on, you know, kind of yelling at each other. Did you see that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's got substance to it and it's unique in the fact that it's like, there's no shame if nothing comes out of the investigation. Like if nothing happened, nothing happened and that's totally fine. And there's still interesting aspects to each of these stories because ultimately, you know, you're, you're storytelling. Um, and even if something, you know, doesn't show up on an EVP or whatnot, it's like the, still the basis of the episode is still quite interesting. Um, so it's been, it's been a very unique experience for me personally. Which is great. That's awesome that it is. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. And even stuff we've got coming up, you know, we've got a whole other section film and we're coming to the end of another one. We've just lined up another shoot for end of October. They're all different. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think what we want to do. We don't want it just to be the haunted location of the week kind of thing. Right. That would just get boring after a while. Right. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, can I, can I say what the, uh, the one in the woods is about? Or she's like, sure. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> I'm that's super excited about the Bigfoot episode. <laughs> just like, it's so silly, but it's like, I mean, my excitement for it, not the, sh- the show or the idea, but I'm just like, I think it's going to be, fun i mean even if like I mean, i'm sure i would have heard about it by now if you guys saw bigfoot but even even if that doesn't come into play it's like it's still i think it's just going to be just fun to try to edit this and and to see how that episode plays out it's just going to be i don't know it's going to be very very interesting to me <laughs> i think i think so and i mean hopefully i mean it'd be neat if we found something but i don't know what i'd do if we did right <laughs> run <laughs> Truck. You only have to run faster than the other guy, Jason. That's right. No. No. Make a bolt for it. You know, like go, go, go. No way. He's got a camera. Okay, who doesn't have a camera? Well, uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the final one goes. Yeah, coming up. Wow. Um, Lily is going to love that. She's obsessed with Bigfoot. She's going to love that. I hope. I hope it delivered. Like so far, we've we've seen interesting things. This is this will be the third one. We're kind of going to have three separate hunts. It will all piece together to make these shows. And then the the first one was just we, we saw some interesting things in the woods, not like creature wise, but just you know things set up, etc. And then the second one, we we may or may not have got wood knocks, which is a big Bigfoot phenomenon. So this last one, though, we're in the woods at night. Wow. Oh, my God. And uh, we're going to see what we can find, and we're going to bring the spirit box and some other gear and, you know, just see what we can pick up. So now the spirit box, for the folks at home that don't know what this is, it's like a little radio. I guess it has multiple bands of a radio that alternates between the two signals. And the hope is that it picks up a frequency of like an entity of some sort. Is that correct? That's right. Or, or, or it, at least, a res- yeah, you pick up some entity and, and I mean, you, you have to cut through this chatter, but if you're asking a question and you get a very specific answer, that leans closer to you having something than not. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's, I mean, it's just, we call it on the show a pseudoscience. It is nobody. It's so untested, all this stuff. So you're, we're just kind of, it's almost, it's neat. You're on the frontier of something new that you're trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all the gear works that way. So, you know, you've got, I have my doubts about it and all the stuff we do, but at the same time, I've got had enough, things come up that are like what we call intelligent responses to questions that I can't discount it either. So yeah, it it makes it kind of neat. Now bringing that along to a Bigfoot hunt, is that uh, you guys alternatively sort of uh, hoping that you might find also entities like in the woods or is there some other sort of science behind this? I think it's just to see, yeah, if we get anything else out in the woods, right? Um, Because I mean, we're, 
where we are in Canada, it's a, there's a lot of Aboriginal land. Oh, Aboriginal. There's a lot of folklore, spiritual beliefs involved, and, and some believe that Bigfoot is tied into that, right? That it's not an actual living, breathing thing, but a forest spirit. So we'll see what we can get, and we're hoping that we can bring Jen, who is in the barn, along to see if she picks anything up. Interesting. I'd yeah. never even thought of the angle of the whole spirit idea of it. That that makes it even more interesting to me. Very cool. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we shall see. So. We got that. And then, of course, Peter and I are writing a book about Peter's exploits. And for people who don't know, Peter Wren is the lead investigator, we want to believe. And he's uh, the head of Vancouver Paranormal Society. And he's been doing ghost hunting for almost 30 years and has a lot of good stories to tell. So we've been writing that book. And we have a publishing house named Beyond the Fray interested in it. They love the first draft. Uh, we're just doing some tweaking. And it looks like that that's going to happen. So... All the, basically juggling these things and then Jay, you and I are working on another Joe Blow project, but I don't know if we can talk about that yet or not. Right, so, right. but we got something else going on too. So lot, lots of, lots of stuff. Yeah. Happening. Well, congrats so. on the book too. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's uh, it, that'll be very interesting to, to be able to read coming out. I mean, 30 years of experience, that's nothing to, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's a long time to be ghost hunting um, and to be a part of something like that. Yeah. That's how long people work at jobs. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Peter's done it that long consistently. So, yeah, he knows his stuff. Peter really it knows his stuff, and it's, it's great to have him on board the show and to work on the book with him. Very cool, man. Um, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing that book and seeing what comes out of this big, Bigfoot episode. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you know Monday, Sunday morning. If you're still around... <laughs> Yeah. If you didn't run faster <laughs> than the other guys. You're <laughs> <laughs> very different show after the big clip. So. <laughs> All right, guys at home, we're going to get into our drink of the night. Uh, tonight, we're going to be drinking something called Painkiller. <clears throat> nice. Painkiller. Pain I yeah. like that. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. it's not painful to drink, but let's see here. Maybe it, maybe it kills the pain. What is it? Tell us more. So the painkiller <laughs> yes, is two ounces of Pusser's rum. What? Four ounces of pineapple juice. I don't know. I've never heard of Pusser's rum. Pusser's <laughs> rum? P-U-S-S-E-R. I thought you were saying Pisser's rum. <laughs> I thought I heard that too, Carly. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I was like, what? <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how to drink that. I've not misheard that. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a brand. It's not some pirate piss in a bottle. <laughs> I really hope so. If we know, reach man. that level, because there's two ounces of it too. You gotta get there. <laughs> wow. All right, the painkiller. Two, <laughs> two ounces of Pusser's rum. Uh, four ounces of pineapple juice. <laughs> one ounce of cream of coconut. One ounce of orange juice, and freshly grated nutmeg. Whoa. Yeah, it's loaded, right? So. Here we go. So add ice and water to a highball glass to chill the glass. Add ice to the tin side of the Boston shaker in the mixing glass. Add Pusser's rum, pineapple juice, cream of coconut, and orange juice. Pour the contents of the mixing glass into the ice tin and secure the glass to the tin. Shake the contents until the ice sounds different. We always love that one, Jason, because we have no <laughs> idea how the ice is going to sound different, but apparently it does. <laughs> Must maybe breaks down something. I, I, I don't know. Guess so. Um, so does it become water? I don't get it. <laughs> uh, until the ice sounds different, the contents are cold. Open the Boston shaker, empty the highball glass, then add ice and strain the contents of the shaker into the ice-filled glass. Great fresh nutmeg over the top and serve. It definitely sounds interesting. That's a gentle euphemism. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, rum, pineapple juice, cream of coconut, orange juice. I mean, it sound, sounds like a nice refreshing uh, yeah but we don't know what pusser is yet no Pusser's not I, a nice I'm, word I'm, I'm gonna think, no i think it might be a um no. a brand maybe let me see here it must be it has to be let me check i'm gonna google this while we're yeah same here we're all googling now <laughs> we have to find the answers <laughs> to what pusser is <laughs> pusser's royal navy rum yeah it's a yeah it's a brand i guess it's a brand is it good? Oh, people also ask, is it good? A pusser's painkiller is especially enjoyable. Well, I wouldn't recommend having too many. They are deceptively potent. Okay. Nice. There's quite a bit of rum. I mean, you got was three shots in this drink? For that much? Wow. Yeah. Two. I guess there's a lot two. of rum. Where's this pineapple and cream of coconut? 
my shoes. Still, sounds good. I'm gonna try this baby out. All right, guys, hopefully uh, you got the ingredients to uh, have a drink along with us and um, yeah, enjoy. And uh, we're gonna show where. Uh, fuck. Put your teeth I'm still in. getting in the swing of this, Carly. I, this, this is tough. I swear to God. Going from segment to segment, it's like, shit, I'm glad we don't do this live. <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine that? How you do it, Jason. When you get on the radio and stuff like that, if you fuck up, that's it, right? Well, it's, it's there. Yeah. And so if you do, you gotta it's watch forever. what you say. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's not easy. You know I had um... someone not even show up once, and it was like, great, now I gotta kill 10 minutes somehow. <laughs> Oh, no. uh. oh my god! <laughs> that would be rough. You should have done an accent and pretended that someone else was there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I would usually get an accent. Talk like No, I think we've got a show to talk about. <laughs> All right, guys at home. I hope you guys have the ingredients to uh, make this drink and, and have one along with us. Um, for now, check out the trailer for Brick. said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope runner, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just wanna know if she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up. So you didn't know this boy? No, sir. Never seen him. And he just hit you. But he asked for my lunch money first. Good thing I brown bagged it. You're coming into a certain situation. It's twisted. I'm looking for Emily. He left her. Yeah, I did. You better be sure you want to know what you want to know. Complicated. Everyone's got their thing. In the upper crust, the shady deeds, they've got symbols so they can tell each other that we're getting around. Coffee and pie. Coffee and pie, oh my. Keep up with me now. You got a cigarette? I don't smoke. I've seen you smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes. I thought we had orange juice. I'm sorry. Water's fine, ma'am, thanks. Oh, wait a minute. We have apple juice. It's country style. If I get to the bottom, whatever this is. What do you want? Too hot. You got a discipline issue with me? Write me up or suspend me. I see that you're trying to help her. And I don't know anybody who would do that for me. You are dangerous. I set out to now put her on the spot. And put her in front of the gun. There's not much chance of coming out clean. That was a trailer for Brick, a 2005 American neo-noir mystery film written and directed by Ryan Johnson um, in his directorial debut, and a mighty fine one at that, I think. Uh, this film also stars a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, fresh off of Third Rock from the Sun, I believe. Um, and wow. Yeah. And uh, I think that the film, although shot in 2005, didn't open until 2006, almost a year later. Um he definitely had his challenges uh, being a new filmmaker, uh, getting this sucker off the ground. I mean, he had a lot of stuff against him, not only a neo-noir, but a neo-noir set in a high school setting, which is just sounds absurd to begin with. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of challenges there. Uh, he obviously overcame them because uh, it's a uh, well-celebrated film and it's become quite a bit of a cult classic. Did, uh, did either of you guys see this when it first came out? 
I rent. I remember renting it. Oh yeah. On on black when there were video stores. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I <laughs> that long bought ago. on the shelf. It sounded interesting. <laughs> Um, and I loved it. I was blown away the first time I saw it. I actually watched it twice in two days, which I don't often do. Oh, wow. And bought it as soon as possible. Um, yeah, because it, it just, it floored me, this this movie. When I first, it still does watching it again just last night. Mm-hmm. Refresh my memory. It, it, it just, it's just, it's unlike anything else out there ever. And I think it's even been often copied since in, in some forms. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think there's been a lot of homages to this, to this movie. Um, which is in and of itself is kind of a bit of an homage, you know, uh, to uh, the old hard-boiled, you know, uh, novels. Um, but uh, it, it, it's it's left its mark. Um, and there's a lot of elements uh, from Ryan Johnson being his directorial debut to writing such a complicated, you know, neo-noir kind of mystery and then setting it in a high school setting. And then uh, the, the young actors are phenomenal in this uh joseph gordon levin in particular is just like i mean he nails this uh this character so well um and i think a lot of that might come and he's so underrated in general oh he is yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean not that he hasn't had his limelight he definitely has but he really is under he's a fantastic actor um and and just being such a young age in this movie it's it's really it's quite amazing you know, and I think a lot, I think a lot of the quality of the acting in this film, because this, this stuff, I mean, let's face it, the dialogue in this movie is ridiculous. Um, so snappy, so snappy. Nobody's going to talk like this in the real life, but they do it in such a way where it's like, I mean, often generation, generation kids develop their own kind of language, you know, and that could be a thing. <laughs> You know, all of a sudden everybody's talking like a noir character from the you know forties. Who knows? But um, I think part of uh, the reason why it played so well is uh, he supposedly rehearsed them for like three months before they even shot the movie, um, which is you know not common at all to be able to have that much time to rehearse with your actors and and to go through um, you know the entire movie you know, over the course of three months, it's, pre- it's pretty amazing. Um, but it, I think they had to though. Cause I mean, yeah. it, when you listen to it, it, it sounds completely believable. Yeah. Like it doesn't sound forced or, or practiced. It just sounds like they're talking that way. And everybody talks that way. Like everybody, except maybe the the pins mm-hmm. mom, you know what I mean? <laughs> talks that way. Um, even, even the vice principal is that, yeah, it, it's like, it's, it's really like a deep seated sort of thing in the, in the dialogue of this whole movie. And it needs to be given the type of story that, cause it is very much that, that hard boiled detective story, you know, like with the lines, like even when he's has the meeting with the principal and the principal's trying to coerce him into, you know, giving him information, they have to cut this deal. And you know, even the line, like, you know, I don't want you kicking in my homeroom door, but that would have been my office. You know what I mean? They just change it just enough to suit the high school setting, but it's very hard boiled. Yeah. All of it. Yep. Yeah. And they did such a fantastic job of taking that sort of, because, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, and it's 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 the brilliance of Ryan Johnson to be able to even think of setting this in a high school or like, you know, as a, at a teenager sort of level, you know, but it, it makes total sense. It makes complete sense because as a teenager, when you're that age, like 16, 17 years old, it's like the entire world, everything matters so much and things are so important that, you know, it, it almost feels like you are carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. and these characters portray that pretty damn well. It's like, this is the only thing that matters in their life is what's happening in their sort of circle. Um, and it just, it played so cohesively. Um, I, I just, I, I wish I could have been in the room when he came up with that idea of like, let's make it contemporary and set it in a high school. It would literally just be like, what? <laughs> You're insane. How does that even work? But he just made it work. A special mention needs to go to the costume design as well because they dressed like film noir characters in in, in a modern very day. Strange, high school. Yeah, in a very strange way. That is what got me immediately was how they were dressed. I was watching the characters because I was watching Nora, and uh, she reminds me of an actress called. Uh, Ruth Wilson, which I don't know if you like, if she's big over there or not, but she's I quite big over her. here. Um, she was in Luther, 
And she's just, she, if you watch her in Luther, she just looks like a femme fatale. If you were going to make a film noir, you would get her no matter what the cost, because she, that is what she is. And um, she's got that mix of sort of crazy, insane, and and this particular actress very much reminded me of it. And then I started kind of looking at how she was dressed and then how the other characters were dressed. And I thought, my God, that's brilliant. Just something so simple that a lot of people wouldn't have paid attention to. And it just adds so much to the overall vibe of it being believable, if that yeah, makes sense. It, does, it kind it, of, it, of takes you back. Yeah, like the pin looked like a bad guy gangster from the 30s Yeah, with his cane, yeah. you know what I mean? And his big, he had his little statue always with him of the bird <laughs> and, and, and all that. And, and uh, Yeah, but then you could still totally see him being like being just walking around just now. As if it yeah. was nothing. Like it, it was brilliant how they did it. I wonder if the pen was, if there was any sort of throwback to, um, say, Touch of Evil, like Orson Welles' character uh, with the cane and things like that. And the, he didn't have a club foot, but he had a limp. Um, just, just little things like that, or like even the Eagles. Maybe those were sort of throwbacks, like Maltese Falcon. Maybe I, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know, those could be stretches, mm-hmm. but. Those are the things that I think of when I when I was kind of watching it. Like they're not spot on homages or anything, but they certainly feel very familiar. Well, I think he did that all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, like it wasn't a direct. This isn't a direct riff on any one of those films or stories in particular, but all the elements you'd want to see in a film noir are there. Like even when when uh, Brendan's at the party and you can see the the guy in the background light the match. Yeah, to light it. Like, but it, you, you, that's what you expect. It becomes a calling card for that character when you sort of see him do that at one point later on in the film. It's like, oh, so the pin was there the whole time and saw it. But I mean, that's what you want to see in a film noir. Someone in the dark lights it and that's it illuminates their face just a bit. Like, you know, visually, he, he had a lot of stuff. And I look at like the, um, there's the one bit where the guy pulls a knife on Brendan at the school and there's a foot chase. Well, that was kind of like the classic 70s car chase noir. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. The 30s, to me, I kind of saw that even the way it was sort of shot and. The, the way the camera moved and everything, it felt like kind of those old school kind of car chases that don't go on very long. And, you know, it was just a neat way to kind of bring that into the story telling in a, in a, in a way that was clever, yet still fit the setting of the, what they were trying to do. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point, especially the um, the match lighting in the background. I don't think that I recalled that from my previous viewings of the movie, but I definitely noticed it watching it this time around. And I really thought that was brilliant. And and like you're talking about the chase scene, I agree. Yeah, it, it, those long shots that they used and and how they did, and even, I mean, just the the creativity of it and him pulling off his shoes and and tripping, just silly things like that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think he's just super creative, you know, in that respect. Um, to be able to pull off all those like subtle homages and then you know, bring it around to like a high school sort of like low ball move like that. <laughs> I just think it's, it's just genius. Um, but uh, he's just got a knack for that though. I mean, if you've seen, you've seen Knives Out, he's just got the mm-hmm. knack. I watched, I watched uh, Knives Out, then I watched this one and it was just, oh, you can see the patterns, but they're brilliant. Yeah. Cause he, he's good at taking old genres. And I think that's why it was so odd that he was picked to do a Star Wars movie. You know what I mean? Because he's, yeah. <laughs> Looper even is like a classic sort of sci-fi thing that he kind of just put his own twist on. Like he takes genres that are familiar and just does his own thing with them. Yeah, but keeps them familiar at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so when he did Star Wars, which I mean, I love his Star Wars, but he just did something kind of different. And I think that's why people don't like it, you know, with with what he did. But it was a whole other conversation. I certainly did not (laughs) mind Star Wars. I liked it quite a bit. Um, And... there there's a few of those little moments like the brushing the dust off the shoulder that Luke does that was sort of like, eh, maybe that was a little too much. But other than that, I thought it was really well done and I didn't mind it at all. I certainly didn't hate it. Like a lot of people have, have problems with that particular movie, but you, you can see the, the talent in this guy, you know, even if it's not your favorite star Wars film or, or whatnot, but you can see the, the creativity there that, that he's, bringing to the table. And I, I don't think he was a bad fit by far for that. Um, no, yeah. especially cause they wanted, you could tell that 
at some point they wanted to do something different yeah. with it. And then of course everyone rebelled and then Disney panicked. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's <laughs> too bad. For the return, but which is very bad, but I think he, he is a, a filmmaker who takes risks. And the fact that this would be his first film, instead of doing a very commercial horror film or something, he, he did something. So like even the plot, like Carly, you kind of do some sort of a synopsis of plots here could try to explain it. Cause I, I couldn't sit here and try to describe exactly. it. Exactly. And it's a great oh. time for you to, to do your internet show. <laughs> yeah, Cause right? we just skipped right over that shit. Okay. <laughs> well, this, um, it's going to be short and oh, sweet. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. we got to cue the dramatic piano. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. I'm so excited I get dramatic music. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Ready. Sam Spade. The high school years. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Did you like it? <laughs> I think I captured the essence. <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> Now that you say that, I like. I totally want to watch that. <laughs> I want to watch Sam, yeah. Sam See, that's what this is. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're right, Carly. It is, basically. That's the character. Mm-hmm. And he does everything yeah, you'd expect that character to do, right? And even the way he talks and walks yeah. and, and everything, it it is that, yep, that he has role. The same, he has the same kind of outlook and everything. He's very much a Sam Spadey kind of Philip Marlowe style, hard-boiled sort of He's just not a detective. He's just a high school kid. But other than that, it kind of fits the bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think Gordon Levitt did a lot of interesting things with that. Like he only sort of takes the glasses off because Brendan wears glasses at like vulnerable moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see those go off, that's when you know he's sort of vulnerable or he's going to get, he's, he's going to have a fight with somebody. <laughs> yeah. I got punched and you can see yeah. it coming. Yeah. But the rest of the time too, he walks with his hands always in his pockets. You know what I mean? Like, of his hoodie or his coat. And I, I like that too. Like it just, it's just these little nuances of character mm-hmm. that added to it. But you always, that'd be like the, the, the guy that Sam Spade into his trench coat, right? Like they always would wear the big trench coat right. with the hands in the pocket kind of thing. And it was just, yeah, that really it's, there's so many layers to the performances in the story. And I think that, that particularly worked. the hands in the pocket thing, I think a lot of people will sort of look at that as sort of like a vulnerability thing, but I, I, I would disagree with that because I would feel that that's almost like him having him hiding something like you don't know what to expect. He's, he's uh, he, it's like the card up the sleeve sort of thing. That's what I feel when he's got his hands in the pocket, not that he's necessarily vulnerable or weak. Um, Cause I always felt like you didn't know exactly what the hell he's going to do next. Um, and I loved that about his character, particularly when he, he really wants to see the pen and when he goes and he walks past the, uh, the parking lot and he sees a uh, tug, uh, tug's car and he gets into the fight with him. He just keeps standing up. I, I just love that scene. And then the last, not the last one, but the second, the last one where his hand like slams against the window. And this guy is just like, mm-hmm. he is not giving up. It's just, it's just really <laughs> great. It's just such a, yeah a hardcore driven character and it's just, it's brilliantly portrayed. See, I think the hands in the pockets is interesting in another way because I, I would see that as this is probably from my bar days showing my, um, my ruffian side. But (laughs) if you've got the little guy at the back with the hands in their pockets and you've got four loudmouth idiots in front of them, you don't need to be scared about the loudmouth idiots and what they're shouting and where their hands are. Right. You need to be shit scared of the guy at the back that he's not saying a word, that's got his hands in his pockets because he doesn't need to show you what he's doing. Exactly. And mm. that is how I would read his character. That he's, Yeah, his hands are in his pockets. He might look a little bit hunched up, but that's because he has that ability. He doesn't, he doesn't need it right now, if that makes sense. Perfect Which I think sense. is even more terrifying. Yeah, exactly. You, don't, you don't know what he's got up his sleeve. You don't know what he's capable of. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and as the film yeah. plays out, you find out, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the way that everything well, goes at the yeah. end, like it's, he orchestrates, I don't not to give anything away because people haven't seen it, but he kind of almost cleverly orchestrates everything right up to the final moment where he unveils everything to, to 
um, the Laura character, right? That, like he, that's so kind of you, Jason, to worry about spoilers. I, I, I fucking ruin every movie we talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. If they haven't seen it. <laughs> I've ruined the last one. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> but that's very kind of you. <laughs> well, I try, I, we, I'm used to that with our, with the, from the basement show. We try not to yeah. ruin it. I try not to, but I fail miserably every time. <laughs> <laughs> you get excited. You want to talk about Absolutely. it. I, for some reason, I think when I when I'm discussing a movie, everybody's seen it, and if you haven't, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to almost. It was one of those few movies where I'd like to know kind of what else happens, like a sequel. Mm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like more of yeah. Brendan's yes. character with Brain and all these other people and Richard Roundtree's. You could do more, right? Absolutely. That would yeah, that would be definitely. fun to see where they're at today the i think that's probably why there isn't though because if they did do one today then it would fall into more of your typical noir because then we're mm-hmm. seeing them as adults instead of the high school setting which i guess i guess in a way is pivotal to it all but he because he did that in in brick we have grown to love those characters anyway so i i, I do think that would be perfectly fine i, I would totally want to see these these kids older now and see what the fuck they're into because i'll bet you there's gonna be some strange stuff you know yeah well and what did brendan do did he because he was kind of alluded to that he was in the drug trade somehow Mm -hmm. right or or something like that so did he stay in that or did he get cleaned up or did he be go like become a legit pi you know what i mean or or, yeah who knows and where did brain go and you know it's i mean that was an interesting character too because he was kind of the the sidekick, the smart sidekick, mm-hmm. you know, that you always be the one source that the main detective would always go to, who is his buddy, who is his, his you know, finger on the pulse of everything. I think he got the short end of the stick though. Cause he's such an interesting character, but he only got basically exposition in the film. But I mean, stuff that you needed to know or things that, that our character needed to hear, but he mm-hmm. was one of those, one of the characters in the films that I, I f- almost feel like he could have his own side movie. Um, you know, that, that would be like a spin Yeah, but that's typical noir, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's something like yeah. Buzz in uh, The it's Blue Dahlia. Su- supporting Blue character Dahlia? that's just, they, they make so that? interesting. Yeah. It just shines. It, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's always supposed to be from, all these detective stories are from the detective's perspective. Because they're always told almost in first person, right? As in the print form. Right. Or from that perspective. So you couldn't veer off to see what the pin was doing when Brendan wasn't around or any of them. It had to be through his lens. Right. Um, but, the fact that yeah, everybody is so even like even like I said, Pin's mom is kind of interesting, even though she's only there a couple times. You know, yeah. and even feeds all the gang guys milk at the end. I know, like, <laughs> what is this woman doing? Does she not know what's happening? <laughs> Who are these people? She's the one that knows but does nothing. That's how I saw it, right? which is so typical in, in high school of the bad. They, everybody parent knows what their kids are doing. Right. <laughs> You're lying, you know, yeah. <laughs> to yourself. But it was, yeah, it was, everybody is just interesting in this film. And, and even if they're only on screen, like in one scene or two, they're, they, they come to life, I think, in a really, like Ben Bramish, you know, was too, another one. It's just so good mm-hmm. on so many levels. I'd love to read the script. Oh, yeah, that would written. be fun. Like a first draft or something like that. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. So, hey, Carly, why don't we take a break and listen to an ad from one of our sponsors? Listening to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, the show that brings you bench drinking with a side of noir, with your hosts Carly Street and Jason D. Morris. I did want to talk real quick. So I'm I'm going to do a little spoiler here. If you guys haven't seen it, oh. so you can either shut it off, fast forward, or surprise, rewind surprise. and listen to the first forty minutes again. <laughs> what do you guys think of the uh, the whole baby aspect to the plot? Like in the end of the film, I mean, she whispers in his ear. We're pretty much assuming she's saying it's your baby, right? But I don't buy it because he hasn't really seen her in a while. Um, that ending was cutting though. That that is a typical horrible woman move. Oh yeah, that's oh, like yeah. I've lost, but I'm gonna take the knife in. It might yeah, not be real, but it it shows how <laughs> yeah. yeah how smart Brendan is though. Because he's kept her at a distance for the whole time. And, and every every moment where he almost lets her in, like something's just not right. And he's he's smart about it. 
Um, and I, yeah. I really loved that. But yeah, she's definitely that that femme fatale character that is. It also shows how vindictive she is as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like if she'd have got real close to him. Right. Oh yeah. His- like she would have. She screwed. She basically orchestrates everything. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But she does. <laughs> You see that there in that one scene because, you know, and she's just yeah. grasping for that last moment because he basically unveils everything and she knows he got her right at yeah. the end. So that's her, I think that's her last parting shot. And I don't think it matters if it is his kid or not. Right. That just right. shows the character. Even the way he handles it. Like I look at it, he doesn't take his glasses off at the end. They're on. Right, right. Right. He's taking them off at every vulnerable moment. Yeah. So that sort of, for me, is where the answer comes from. Yeah, no, no that's a good point. Uh-huh. That's an excellent point, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. He doesn't, so he's not vulnerable. Even if it was his, it, what does it matter at this point? It's already, yeah, it doesn't yeah. to him, even if it is yeah. anymore. Right. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. It's, what it's, a, it's brilliant. I can't wait to see what he does next. Right. Like, oh, I know. This is all kind well, of I know he's, out. uh, they're supposed to be turning knives out into like a, a trilogy. Um, I guess we'll see how that goes. What? Yeah. I'm oh, so excited for that. Yeah, but but you're not gonna no. like it because it revolves around Daniel Craig's character, which I think that was your But he's oh. kind of the central of all of Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm yeah. zoned out now. Okay. So Joe uh, Joseph Gordon Lovett should have played Daniel Craig's character in Knives Out. That would have been a perfect film. So he would that yeah. would have been cool. Well, he, that would have been cool. He's in it, you guys yeah. know that, right? Yeah, oh yeah, he's he's got a scene in there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, but un- unfortunately, Daniel Craig is in it far too much. <laughs> Not a Craig fan, I take it. <laughs> yeah, I like him. I thought I, I don't typically like Daniel Craig, but I thought he was great in this movie. Um, it's different than he's so he was so anti Bond. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? like, yeah, I love him as Bond. Yeah. I think he's my favorite Bond since Connery. But he plays something so completely different, which I thought was cool mm-hmm. for him to even want to. Yeah, I think it was perfect casting. I don't, I, Ryan Johnson has has a good knack for casting. I think everybody in that movie was was pretty spot on, um, and I can't I, again even like Brick or that film. I, I couldn't even imagine approaching the writing of that of either of those mil- movies. Like I don't I don't know how he did it or what sort of life experiences did this man have <laughs> to come up with those. It's going on those in his ideas, head. Right? <laughs> He must have read a lot of mystery books. Well, he did, and he, and he actually says it mm-hmm. about Brick is that, um, gosh, I wish I could remember what it was, but uh, I think it was maybe Miller's Crossing or something like that, where the director, I guess, had, had referenced reading uh, uh, Dechelle Hammett books, uh, hard-boiled, you know, noir books. And so he heard that, and then he went out and, and read them all. And that was really his inspiration for Brick. Interesting. Yeah. Um, wow. Which is pretty awesome. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's great uh, inspiration to have um, and keeping the neo-noir stuff alive because there's not, there's just not enough of them, in my opinion. Um, well, there hasn't been, like trying to think back over the last even 20 years, stories like that, they just don't, they just don't happen. No. Nope. For some reason, I mean, I guess there's that one series that Patty Jenkins did with Chris Pine that was kind of a throwback that I didn't get to see, but it had that. And then uh, Carla Gino's series Jet kind of was like that a bit. I didn't even heard of that one. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it only lasted like you know six or eight episodes. But I mean, it's there's but there's not a lot of people are doing that, which I think is a disservice. Yeah. And hopefully now, like with films like Knives Out, which is basically an Agatha Christie mystery. Mm-hmm we'll sort of see people trying to do more of that, you know, cause when something goes big like that, everyone has to try to get one in. Right. And so. I, I think that there's a certain aspect to it where it's, it's sort of, um, I think Hollywood in particular has fallen into like a lazy sort of writing. Um, and I know it has a lot to do with like, you know, formulaic types of like, you know, uh, structure and that's fine. But when you have a movie like Brick that has perfect structure, you have a movie like Knives Out that has perfect structure, it has a lot of familiar elements to it, but it turns these things on their head. Um, We really need more of that. I mean, because it's fine to have more thriller films or more murder mysteries and things like that. But if you're not saying anything new either, um, people will forget about it. But they're not going to forget about these films. Like these, like Brick is 2005. You know, it's almost 20 years later. um, You know, and it's, it's, it's going to be around. 
Um, and yeah. I think well, that we're those, talking about it right now. Yeah. And, and I think, exactly. I think murder mysteries like that sort of demand a, a sort of elevated level of writing. Um, and I just, yeah, we definitely need more of those. I think the problem, at least from a Hollywood perspective, is these movies require you to think exactly. when you watch it. And yeah. they, get, they get scared of that. Like, it's amazing that Knives Out did as well as it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it was probably because of the cast that got people at least in. Right. You know what I mean? In the door. Yeah, because Don Johnson's really such a yeah. big draw, you know? <laughs> well, but Chris Evans. Hey. Could, I know, I'm kidding. America, I'm right? and Don Johnson Daniel was great Craig. in that movie, too. That was perfect. He was. Yeah. was Jamie Lee Curtis, Don't not the channel. Like Don was Johnson. I'm just joking around. I, I like him actually. I was just <laughs> You're just you're just scared of my wrath. Don't start on Miami Vice, Morris. Don't do it. Yeah. I mean, even down to the the son or the grandmother it was like the casting was just great. <laughs> I love the grandmother. She was great. Yeah. I think was the son the son was one of the kids from It, the It movies as well. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, you know, it's a good, but I mean, that gets people in and then, you know, the good story will keep them. So I think that that gives hope that we'll see more smart movies now because the Hollywood, I think, is starting to see that people want that. I, like, I, I mean, for so. every Marvel movie that goes big, there's tons of these expensive flops, right? Mm-hmm. And they got a, Ives Out's cheaper, you know, you can do it for 40 million bucks, which I mean, I say that's cheap, that's amazing, but it, you can make that back in a couple of weekends and then you get your profit, mm-hmm. right? So. I hope so. Fingers crossed that we get more smart movies like Brick and Knives Out yep. to come. That'll get me back in a theater post-COVID as opposed to just another big, shiny blockbuster. Hell yeah. I don't even go for the blockbusters because they're mostly all just Marvel movies. I just I, – mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel, The thing is, is that I don't think that Marvel movies are bad or any of these superhero movies are bad. I just feel like every time I go and see one, I'm watching the same movie. It's just a different character in a different suit or whatnot. And I was a huge comic book fan. Like my, my turning point with film and comics was the first Ninja Turtles movie. Um, mm-hmm. When that film came out, you know, I was, I don't know, what was that like eight or nine or I don't know, maybe even younger. I can't remember, but that was like, wow, they made a dark kids movie. Like this whole thing is like shot in darkness and it's, you know, it, it was just really cool to me. I was like, they need to make more movies like this. And here we are like, 30 years later and I'm just like these are too much there's just too many of them you know and it's like I think yeah. back and I'm like that's exactly what I asked for I have it and then now it's like I don't want it at all <laughs> and, well, and so I get happened. it but <laughs> yeah because it, it's overkill because I mean my, my friend of a friend of mine and I who are big comic readers too would be like why do they have to make a can't they make a Spider-Man movie where you see like the Fantastic Four in it even for a scene or two mm-hmm. you know what I mean and interconnect them all and then we started getting that and I, and I love them too but it's almost I don't need to see it in the theater. It's like almost enough already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you respect mm-hmm. the um yeah. the variety that there used to be. You know, it used to be a time where you'd have one horror film that would come out, one action film come out, one thriller film come out. You know what I mean? There was like there was sort of something for everyone at the at the movies. And now it's like there, you know, you don't really have that. So even in some cases, there's multiple superhero movies like coming out around the same time. Um and mm-hmm. it's just a lot. It's just a lot. You know, thanks, Steven Spielberg. Let us speak to a bigger problem, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the film industry than anything right. else, right? Like, yeah. and I guess now the window, Universal cut a deal with theaters. It, it's a it's a fourteen day turnaround. Yeah, it's nuts, man. You know, and back in the day, like even in the day of the film noirs, you know, where they would like be in the theater for like a year, um, mm-hmm. and then nobody would see them again because there was no home movies. They would bring them back into the theater later on for like a second showing or whatnot and then later on in like say the 60s 70s and 80s they would you know only be in the theater for like six months or something like that um especially in the 80s and then you would see them in the you know home video uh several yeah it was like a year later uh it it really spread it out and and it made you want to see that movie again um because it wasn't readily available now it's like especially if they're just going to throw it on vod and you're like as soon as this movie is released, I instantly have access to it forever or a perceivable forever. Yeah. It's like there's, yeah. there's yeah. no want anymore. And it's good to want things. Um, doesn't mean you always have to have it, but I think that them doing that and closing that window, a 14 day window and in, in, in theatrical, and then everybody has access to it forever. It's just, it really kills the desire 
to ever watch those, those films again, because you, you know, there's people can't control themselves. That's the reason why binge watching is a thing. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, we're, we just, me and my wife just started, uh, watching Cobra Kai. I, I initially thought, man, this is going to be so silly. It's going to be terrible. Um, and I, I waited until it just went on Netflix. I, I just never watched it. And we just decided to watch it the other night and oh my God, is it amazing? The writing in that show is just flat out amazing. It's so good. And it's so good. She won't allow us to binge watch it. She's like, no, we can watch one episode a night because you know, you're going to float, you know, go through like 16 episodes. It's over. There's not going to be any more. Let's just treat it like, you know, TV used to be and just watch an episode here and episode there. And we're enjoying that so much more yeah. than just like taking advantage of the idea that it's all there and just accessible. Um, I just think that's a big mistake, man. That 14 day window thing. Well, I, 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 I mean, part of me thinks it's a mistake. And then part of me is like, cause there's stuff that I would watch that I wouldn't go to the theater to see. Cause I've just grown to dislike the theater experience even. Oh yeah. Cause of everybody else that's there. Yeah. So, you know, I would be more inclined to see more movies, I think, but I, I, at the same time, it's just, it makes everything disposable. Yeah. And I agree it's with that. 90% of the time, if I don't enjoy a film at the theater, it's because of the other patrons. Um, and that's, that's terrible because people have forgotten how to act in public, which yes. is sad. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, even, even theaters on a whole, they used to be an event sort of thing. You would get dressed up and go out and, you know, that sort of thing. And now it's just, you know, flip flops and shorts and talking through the whole movie or smoking pot in the back. And it's just like, it's horrible. It's not, it's not a good experience. So what I, kind I, of theaters are you going to? California theaters. <laughs> <laughs> the Google most we have is somebody theater. having a food fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting out enough, am I? Bloody hell. <laughs> Our, our theaters, like, have you ever seen the John Goodman movie, the Joe Dante movie, uh, Matinee? Mm-hmm. Many years ago. Okay, no. so, like, every time that they show, like, a movie in inside that movie, people are, like, crazy, throwing popcorn, all that kind of stuff. That's the theaters out here, except there's only 10 people in the theaters. They're just assholes, and they just yeah. don't care. And that's, that's terrible, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I love going to the theater, but I cannot stand people. <laughs> yeah, same, same. <laughs> I, you know, I'll go for, like, a Star Wars or a big movie but i used to go my wife and i'd go every week yeah to see something sometimes twice and now we just would bear like once a year for lucky yeah same here man i'll take my son to see something you know yeah we have a um a drive-in theater out here um and it's the only theater that you can go to right now right and uh so we just went and saw we didn't even care what we were going to see we just wanted to go to the movies right so we went and saw the new mutants and it wasn't great but Mm -hmm. even the etiquette at the drive-in was horrible. People leaving their lights on, having their cars on through the whole movie. There's this one dude sitting next to us and they talked through the entire movie. Not like quietly, but like you could just hear their entire fucking conversation. And it's like, you can't do anything about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? No. It's horrible. But why are they going then? I don't know. I I don't get it. I I seriously don't understand. (laughs) You're paying money to sit here and talk through the whole damn movie. I'd rather stay home and watch Brick. Yeah, again. exactly. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I guess it's that time to uh, go through and uh, give our ratings of this, my opinion, amazing film. Um, let's start with our guest today, Jason. Why don't you give us a rundown of uh, your thoughts and and give it give it a gen rating? Well, I think it's. I mean, it's it's a brilliantly written, brilliantly executed film with some really fine acting. Um, a lot of nuances to it. Uh, totally at the time, very original. I hadn't seen anything like it. I think it's still that's what makes it so compulsively watchable. Still, uh, and I got to give it ten out of ten gents. Like, I mean, it's it's to even be talking about it fifteen years later and watching it that says something. This is something that'll be around. People will be watching this movie fifty years from now. Oh, I agree. I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Carly, you're up. Oh, okay. <clears throat> <laughs> She's like, you guys are gonna hate me. To be fair, no. No, no, no. Thank you, Morris. Don't be negative. Right? I was going to say, I normally don't like young people in films because I tend to gravitate or to women. pretty miserable old people. Or women. Like in general life. Um, but actually, I very much enjoyed this. And I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 as well. Oh, I'm surprised nice. there. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very cool. So in your right. face, Morris. All right. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I I personally love this film. Uh, I saw it at the theater. I've rented it several times. Um, and then now I own it. Um, I've owned it for many years now. Um, and I just, I think it's brilliant. This this came out a, a, a couple years after I had initially discovered film noir um and so i was you know the few years before this movie came out i was just pouring through all the old classics and whatever was available um is that because you realized that you were going to hell for not liking humphrey bogart yeah basically (laughs) (laughs) and and you know this is this came out like you know many years after my high school experience but i was still young enough to be able to kind of relate to the the feelings that were on display and and also my new experiences of uh of film noir and um delving into that dark sort of recess of film um which was very new to me um and so this movie just came out at a great time for me in in terms of of film um i was i was still in college going to film school so it was just it was really just perfect timing and uh I, I was never a, a third rock from the sun fan. Uh, it was okay. I watched it oh, occasionally. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I was, um, can't think of the actor's name, but the, the guy that played the dad, um, John, Lithgow. John Lithgow. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. I thought he was amazing in raising Kane and so many other things. Um, and, but for some reason that show just never really like, it was never a, I have to watch the show kind of thing. I, I enjoyed it like when it was on, but so I never really paid much attention to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I didn't think he really did a whole lot in that show anyway. Um, so when I found out that that was him in this movie, I was absolutely blown away. And it's no surprise to me that he went on to become a big star for a while, um, you know, and, and now kind of does his own thing. Um, it's, it's, it, it just fits perfectly. He was, he was just so phenomenal in this film. Um, I also give it 10 out of 10 gens. And uh, this is going to be something that sits on my shelf for ever. Uh, it's just a yeah. fantastic movie. This could go right next to um, uh, LA confidential and Chinatown and all the other classics that I love. And I think that's something that, that is going to, I mean, right now they call it a cult classic, but I, I really believe that this film should have been recognized more uh, on, you know, in the awards area. Like I, I I really think that this should have received like a best screenplay Academy award or something like that. I I think it's that, that brilliant. Um, Oh, I agree completely. I don't know why it wasn't recognized. Yeah, no, it just, it it like did nothing in terms of that. I think it got, what did we, we got a, uh, won a special jury prize for originality of vision at Sundance and that's that's not even like a best picture or best you know what I mean that's that that feels like that's a secondary sort of like thing and this movie just deserves so much more than that um but then again it's like yeah it's you know, a shame how yeah how political is that <laughs> you know oh huge right <laughs> like, huge yeah so it's like in a first time director coming out of the gate with that it's that's that's big you know had he done that in like the the early 90s it probably would have you know it probably would have been massive along with like the you know kevin smiths and you know all those guys but um you know he it just seems like he had a whole lot riding against him for this but he persevered got the funding um made it happen and made a got it done movie. yep that that's 30 gins out of 30. 30? A lot of gin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is the most gins that we've ever done. I think so. I think so. Carly's going home happy tonight. <laughs> I am going to drink those 30 gins for Brick. <laughs> you welcome me. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show and discussing Brick with us. Uh, folks at home, if you want to check out more stuff from him, you can check out fromthebasement.com. Is that correct? We came from the basement.com. We came from the basement.com. Um, and you can yep. learn more about the projects that Jason's got going on, the radio shows, podcasts, all that other kind of stuff. We want to believe. Um, plenty of content out there. This guy is creating a new book coming out. Just amazing stuff. So follow this guy. Uh, look him up and become a fan because he's doing some great stuff. 
Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And he's man. lovely. He is. He's well, an amazing you, person. And he knows how to relax thank too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Work hard, play hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Does. All right, guys. We will see you next week on uh, the Speakeasy Norquat. Fuck. <laughs> it's a good I'm going to say it again. It's a good thing we are not live. <laughs> All right, guys. Although, I think time. we might yeah. make more money if we had a live show. Can uh, you imagine the, the ratings on <laughs> you know, YouTube? Just it up. No, 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 no. We got to a point, <laughs> Jay, where it's like I mispronunciate so many things. Like I just leave it in the podcast now. <laughs> try to, oh, yeah. but now try it's to a thing. Shit out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep it. Keep it loose. Keep it as genuine as possible. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> become a feature. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, Daryl's going to be really happy that you mispronunciated something. <laughs> I know, he loves that. <laughs> All right, guys, until next time, we will, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.